Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. I feel like I'm in a semi-better mood than I was the other day, recording here in the bowels of uh, the Moore Center with Chris Nee. And uh, joining us over Skype right now is Josh Newberg. We're going to have Bob Ferrante join us in a little bit to uh, to talk about uh, FSU Alabama, which is just a couple days away now. But but we brought a Newberg. It's been a while. Uh, Josh, welcome to the podcast. And uh, we're excited to have you talk a little bit of recruiting and some uh, some scoop that you heard from camp. So welcome. Hey man, it's great to be on a real professional podcast. Are you uh, are you implying that maybe you're part of a uh, pseudo professional podcast? That's, that's probably more popular than this one, though. I'm just saying it feels good, man. It feels good to be with some real pros. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. I think pros is used uh, loosely. So let's uh, let's let's hit the ground running here. We want to talk a little bit about recruiting coming off the summer. There's not a whole lot of of hard news that came out the last you know couple weeks or so. Uh, but Josh, I'll start with you. Guess what are your thoughts on, on what's coming up ahead here for Florida State? We got the game at Alabama on Saturday. What does that visitor list look like? How big is that for Florida State now that recruiting's starting to pick back up a little bit? Yeah, it's going to be huge. We were just chatting a little bit before um, before we started recording, and we just mentioned how this month of August has really been quiet in terms of recruiting, mainly because Florida State's getting ready for Alabama, and you can fully understand um, where their focus is. But it's going to change. It's going to change drastically because as soon as this game's over and we enter the month of September, you know, the Miami game's only only really a week and a half away after mm-hmm. this game ends, um, after this weekend ends, I should say. And that list is going to be loaded. Right now we only have a couple official visitors confirmed, but those are even big names. And we expect pretty much uh, numerous top targets to be in attendance for that one, if not for official visits. So, yeah, it's going to be... It's going to go from zero to a hundred real quick in, when it comes to recruiting. And this weekend against Alabama, it's going to be a heck of a um, a heck of a visitor list. We're going to see who shows up because it is all unofficial visits. So that means that while the teams can provide tickets to the recruits, they can't pay for their travel. So for a recruit to get a ticket, all he has to say is, "Hey, coach, I want to come," and they'll leave him a ticket or two. So we'll see who actually shows, but. Uh, some of the names, you know, that we broke over, over the over the weekend or over the last week were Justin Fields. He's the number one target on FSU's recruiting board. He's also the number one player in America. Yeah, who's that guy? Um, I don't think any FSU fans know who that is. Yeah, but hey, if they're just tuning in, that's true. They're, that's they're true. They're just turning their attention back to the season. We want to we want to talk to all the people out there, not just the ones that are on our message boards every day. Um, so <laughs> so Justin Fields. Uh, while he did visit Alabama once over the summer, they're not really in play. This is a Florida State-Georgia battle right now. Auburn's lurking. Uh, Chris, do you still think that Auburn is is the team? No. I, I, uh, I've i changed my tune on that over the last couple, five, six weeks. I, he had an interview a while back. I think it was with Jeff Santel of Dogvent. And, you know, the way he spoke about Georgia, it was pretty clear that he very much wants to see what that offense is going to look like and – they're a primary competitor to Florida State, in my view, after reading that. Um, I, I do think Auburn's intriguing with him. I think if Stidham has a lot of success, it will stand out to him. Him and Jarrett Stidham right. have hit it off. I think Auburn's system is somewhat intriguing, even though he doesn't really want to be a running quarterback. I think their system, from an athletic standpoint, fits him maybe the best to his skill set. And, uh, you know, so I think they can make a move. I think he the point that Justin is at in his recruitment right now is really wanting to see – what offenses look like. I think he knows what FSU is. He has a pretty strong feeling of that. But I think he really wants to see if Georgia does look different because they've kind of sold him that bill of goods. 
and then with Auburn, he wants to see what it looks like with Stidham. So that I think that's what September is really about for that young man. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think we could maybe see a decision before the end of the month with Fields, although that's just a that's just a gut feeling there. Um, I also don't have any inside intel on this, but I could very easily see FSU trying to bring Fields in for his official visit for the Miami game because of the fact that I think he is, you know, closing in on a decision. Um, moving on, I think there's some other huge names that'll be there that that. You know, Florida State's looking to add uh, one of them being Justin Ross, who I want to find out which side he's sitting on. We don't know that yet, do we, Chris? No, I, I suspect it will be Bama, but I had that conversation with a coach. I go, what do you do if you're recruiting a kid and Alabama's recruiting a kid? And he goes, you leave him tickets and you see if he picks them up. And if he's there and he didn't pick them up, it's somewhat of a message. It's somewhat, you know, it's a tea leave you can read off of. I think if I had to guess, Justin Ross probably sits with Alabama because he'll probably sit with guys that he knows, and there's probably more targets on Alabama's list than FSU's list that he's familiar with. But I think he's a kid that does have a mutual interest in both, even though he likely stays in state. Yeah, I agree. And Chris and I were having this conversation about a week or two ago. Um, I said, Chris, do you think it matters which team gets, you know, which kid the team he gets his tickets from? And Chris said, yeah, I think it does. And I said, I agree. I said, I, I think it sends a, a big message on, on where these kids are going to get their tickets from. So I think after the game, in the coming days after the game, I'm going to look into that further. And, and when we do these interviews, kind of try to ask where they got the tickets or, or find out you know, who picked up tickets from FSU compared to who picked up tickets from Alabama. Um, that'll be something interesting to look into in the aftermath of this one. Yeah. Uh, some other – let's just run through some names real quickly. Um Jalen Waddle's expected to be there. Oregon commitment. Warren Thompson told me he's going to be there. Jayshon Sheffield, who we feel is on the verge of committing to FSU. He's one of the top 2019 players in the country. Uh, he's going to be there. William Barnes, a big-time offensive tackle that we think is leaning a little bit toward Florida right now. He says he's going to be there. Uh, several FSU commitments will be there, including Ronald Tompkins, Jayshon Corbin, Marquez Ezard, Antoine Green. Uh, let's see, Christian Armstrong, Wanye Morris, Christian Meadows, Israel Mukuamu, uh, Kenyatta Watson, the list goes on. Owen Popo will be there. He's a guy that throughout the summer has gone back and forth between, I think it's really Clemson, FSU, and to a lesser extent Georgia for I, Owen Popo. I actually think Alabama might be oh, ahead Alabama, of Georgia. Yeah. I think Georgia's in that, but I think they may be the fourth team in that. I think it's definitely a Clemson FSU battle at the very top, but Bama's always intrigued him. He likes Alabama's right. linebackers. He's a kid that would fit their scheme pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, Quay Walker talking about flips. Two big flips would be uh, Warren Thompson, the Oregon commitment. He told me that him and his sister are going to be at the game, and Quay Walker. Quay Walker was a guy that visited FSU in late July after the camps were over. And FSU made a really big impression on him. When he left there, I spoke to a few sources within the program that really felt that a flip is going to come. Uh, there's no timetable on that because Georgia and Auburn are also trying to flip him from Alabama. Um, but Quay Walker has a good bit of interest in FSU. Now, this is one Chris and I discussed this, but we think Quay Walker will, out of respect, I mean, he's probably going to grab a ticket from Alabama and sit in the Alabama section. Wouldn't be surprised if Quay Walker was another name that we saw on the uh, on the uh, visitor list for the Miami game, though, and that could possibly be an official visit. So we'll keep watching him. Um, Pat Sertain and Tyson Campbell are expected to be at the game. 
Those are two kids that are high on FSU's boards that did not visit this offseason. Um, my guess is that they'll be in the Bama section. Uh, that's just a guess because Patrick, because actually I think Pat and Tyson visited Alabama this summer. So um, they're playing in front of a, a talented group of kids. We'll, we'll break it all down afterward on who actually showed. Yeah, and to explain a couple of things about a neutral site game and recruiting, the coaches can't really talk to the kids. That's not something that they're able to do. Basically, you're able to provide tickets for the kids. They're able to sit. The one intriguing thing with players when you have, like, the nation's number one cornerback, Patrick Sertain, or major linebacker target committed to Alabama, like Quay Walker that you're trying to flip, and so on and so forth, is you want to see how those kids kind of interact with the game. You know, there's been plenty of kids over the years in recruiting that have gone to – for example, an FSU-Florida game, and, you know, they came in as sort of a Florida target, but by the end of the game they're doing a Tomahawk chop or, you know, doing a war chant with the fan base. Those are always kind of interesting things to, do, to view is the environment and how it impacts a recruit and just what they take away from the emotional part of viewing a game such as this. And I think this is the kind of game, you know, I expect, a good, I expect a good football game here, but I think the biggest thing is going to be that you know, it's going to be entertaining. Kids are going to be tuned in. They're going to be paying attention to both teams. They're going to kind of gleam something from it. It's not simply, hey, I'm attending a big-time football game. They're watching. They're viewing. They're learning about these two teams, and there's no better setting than this. So, Chris, people always ask us, how much is FSU going to benefit if they win? So I want to discuss that a little bit. Um, I think that winning is a huge benefit. Um, not in terms of, not in terms of, oh, they're gonna, these kids are all gonna commit after the game, and especially at a neutral site game, like you said, because the coaches don't have contact. So if this was a home game, yeah, the kids would be in the locker room. Maybe they get overcome with emotion and decide to commit on the spot. That's not necessarily gonna happen, but it is. This is huge. This is huge for FSU because they go against Alabama so much on the recruiting trail, and. You know, these rivalry games that we've seen against FSU, uh, FSU Miami and FSU Florida, those are also important, but FSU doesn't go head-to-head against those teams nearly as much. Um, losing this game, while I don't think it's it, – kids aren't going to be jumping off the ship because they lose, right. but it depends how this game goes down. Yeah. If it looks like Louisville, it's not a good sign. Right. I think, I think winning can have a far bigger impact than losing can have. I don't think losing yeah. has a major impact. You know, I think I think kids understand it's two really really good football teams going against and each other. Kids tend to understand this much more than message boards. Do, yeah, and kids usually while they're they're always viewing things in a short term way, they also sort of have to do the long term decision at the end of the day. You know, what's that team going to be in four to five years when I'm a primary player for them if I end up going there? That's always something that weighs heavy on them. I think the biggest thing this game does for either club that wins is it creates a instantaneous momentum. There's going to be insane and energy. State really needs that, right? I mean, B- Bama always has momentum. Bama is what they are. They're sort of juggernaut. FSU is right there on the heels of that. They have a lot of that. But if FSU topples Alabama the king, doesn't need momentum when you draft, right? But FSU can create insane momentum because if you topple the king out of the gate, and you know you go through September and you're five and zero heading into October. Uh, the entire college football world centers around Tallahassee, Florida at that point. I mean, that's the impact that this right. game can truly have for FSU. And, and FSU starts getting all the talk about running the table, going undefeated, yeah. you know. So, yeah, it, I agree. And and they'll probably be, 
you know, if they uh, they beat Alabama, they'll be ranked number one starting right. the week. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's not even 2018 that's going to truly impact because at that point you're so in-depth with a lot of those kids you're dealing with, the Justin Fields, William Burns, Patrick Sertain, those type of the world. Where it's really going to impact you is the 2019, 2020, and even 2021 kids that you're chasing. You know, mm-hmm. rising or current juniors, current sophomores, current freshmen. Those are the kids that are going to be watching it on TV. Some of them are going to have the opportunity to watch it in person. That's where the emotional long-term impact of winning a game such as this might be more felt. Yeah, and, and good point on the loss. Um, while fans are going to be crushed, I think the reason that kids – these recruits understand it is because some of these recruits play for top schools, schools that are loaded with talent at St. Thomas or IMG or Cartersville, you know, some of these, um, Grayson, these great programs also lose games every now and again. And these kids understand how you can lose a game on a loaded team. And it's not the end of the world. Like you just got to play again next week and go out and try to win. Um, talking to kids after some of the Florida state losses last year, that was kind of the, that was kind of the message I got from them. It wasn't, oh, man, that was embarrassing. It was, it's going to be interesting to see how they come together and go out next week and try to win. And I think that's because that's the mentality that they have when they play with their, their teams. Yep. All right. So somewhere there's someone saying this is the best podcast we've done because I've only talked for like 20 seconds, and I think that's probably, probably a good thing. Um, and we want to get a few more things from you, Josh, before we let you run because uh, I know the ADHD is going to start kicking in soon. It's ADD. Mm, is it? Yeah, it's what the government labeled it as. His um, attention deficit comes in high definition, so it's ADHD. <laughs> attention deficit hyper disorder. Right, you're losing me. Let's go. <laughs> Next topic. You, uh, you have some, some camp buzz. You know, camp wrapped up last week for Florida State, and obviously this is Bama week. Oh, yeah, uh, some stuff. Yeah, what, what, what's, some what's the stuff? stuff? Give, us, give us a scoop. Uh, for you guys, you obviously know Josh is well-connected, so what have you been hearing? <laughs> Well, I did post a couple things like the James Blackman take that I had last week where I had heard he's doing really well. Which um, that, and then Jimbo, Jimbo gushed about him yesterday, by the way, and more or less said, I think, if DeAndre Francois goes down, that's that's probably the number two guy you know, if they have to go long term. So yeah, so I was kind of surprised. It was funny because the person I spoke with that's very close to the situation told me that, you know, this was a week ago, that told me that, hey, if, if the depth chart were today, I, I think uh, – James Blackman's going to be number two. And then the depth chart was released like three or four days after I made that post. And JJ was on there. But I checked back in a couple days later, like on Monday of this week. And I said, oh, um, I saw JJ's running too. He just edged out Blackman. And I was kind of given the, you know, if this really happened, like if DeAndre Francois went down with a shoulder or something in, in the second quarter and he was going to miss a series or two, the person I was talking with was not convinced that it was going to be JJ running out on that field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they kind of tended to believe it, it would be James. So we'll see. But either way, you know, hopefully DeAndre Francois doesn't go down. Hopefully we don't see James Blackman at all this year. But what I'm being told is not only, you know, James Blackman is capable, they feel, of, of winning some games for Florida State if needed. Um, just hopefully not this year. Uh, on offense, I've also heard that – They've got a game plan, and, and, and they're, they're pretty confident that they're going to be able to score points on Alabama. Is, and um, I just think the confidence from what it sounds like is it starts with uh, DeAndre Francois and his, his grasp of the playbook and, and how much further he is along 
heading into Alabama than he was Ole Miss. And we all saw the slow start against Ole Miss, and then he picked it up in the second half. So the thought process there is that you're not going to have this this lag in the first quarter, second quarter, and FSU is going to go down the field and hopefully score some points. So um, beyond that, you know, I know that they're, they're real excited about some sleepers like a Trey McKitty, uh, Jalen Wilkerson is a name that I've heard pop in, Keith Gavin. Um, Jalen you know, Wilkerson's Westbrook. my boy. What's that? I said Jalen Wilkerson's my boy. Yeah. I'm all in yeah. on him. AJ Westbrook, you know, I was told that he played he played really banged up last year. And I was told that a lot of what we saw, a lot of his mistakes, a lot of his hesitation was injuries. And they needed AJ Westbrook. They put him out there because they needed him. Um I think we're gonna see we're gonna see a lot more from AJ this season. I don't know what you guys have seen or heard from him, but I know he's a guy that the staff's excited about. Yeah, Jimbo was talking him up pretty highly the other day, and and you know when we were there for the uh, the open practice early on, and he was the guy that was maybe if not running with the the two you know the starters with uh, Derwin and Trey Marshall, he was right there as like the number one option. To yeah, them. They, they they like him a lot. He'll be the fill in for Trey Marshall with him being suspended for the first half of the game is what Jimbo said. He's basically the first man up. Obviously, with their safeties, different looks, different things are going to show different people, but. Mm-hmm. Westbrook was sorted of to one penciled in as the next man up. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. That's about it. We're losing I, them. We're losing them quickly. <laughs> I'm texting with Rusty Manziel. See? Yeah, he did lose me there for a second. Um, I really want to see what they do on punt return and, and kick return because I swear, after catching the football these last few years, I don't think Florida State's had a game plan for any return. <laughs> I, I went off about that. I think it was last week's podcast, or maybe it was Monday. It was, it was, it, it's inconceivable the the lack of success they've had in the return game. I mean, when was the last time but someone brought it back for a touchdown? They have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's what's crazy. It's not like it's. I mean, you just you luck into some of those sometimes too. Like you just someone falls down, and you score a touch on a kickoff return. When was the last time they scored on a kickoff return? Was it Kermit? Uh, I mean, the bowl game last year obviously uh, was I mean, won at yeah, the end because there. of a kick return, but literally that was like. The most busted-looking play in the history of kick returns, and oh, yet it, it played out perfectly. <laughs> I know Jimbo swears up and down that's it. They practice it. That's what it was supposed to be, and all well, that. Well, no, it wasn't but, supposed to be like a rope a dope where they were. But <laughs> how many kick returns did we watch last year? North of a hundred ballpark, you know, and that's like the only one that stands out that you remember. Right. It, it, just gonna, you know, it is amazing on special teams how I know I was, I was <laughs> a little hyperbole there. Um, I am amazed by special teams and how it seems like a dead asset for FSU. With the amount of athleticism, skill, and capable players they have, it amazes they me they don't take a team some more with it. They got elite athletes all up and down that roster, and we can't get a return. It's yeah. incredible. But, it's but, incredible. I mean, it's interesting, at least for Alabama, like Jimbo is putting his, his dudes on those returns. I mean, Tavares McFadden's an All-American candidate is going to be returning punts. Darwin James is... Everyone's All-American candidate. He's going to be returning kicks. Keith Gavin is going to be one of three wide receivers that they feel like pretty good about, and he's going to be returning kicks as well. So uh, it's it, not. It, but it, I don't think it. It's not about who's returning them because Florida State's had great athletes. Jalen Ramsey was returning them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kermit was returning them. You Nyquan Murray was returning them. Like those are all elite athletes. So I, I don't think it matters that Derwin and Keith are. McFadden are back there. It's like we got to have some sort of game plan for returning and gaining yards on kickoffs and punts. Got to. 
I just say like put Marvin Wilson in there and let him be an enforcer and take someone out, choke slam someone, just just, just ch- change it up a little bit, set a tone against Alabama. Yeah, well, I do. I, I will say I do like that. That's a great phrase, setting the tone. We know this is going to be a physical game. I love that they're setting the tone from the beginning. Even if Florida State gets the ball, they're going to be physical right from the jump. Yep, I Derwin think- James and Keith Gavin back there returning punts like. That's as physical as it gets. I, kicks. I don't think we see those guys do that all year. I think that's at least early on. I mean, if it works, great, then yeah. But I think that's a, a deal. You, you're just putting your, your dudes up there. I agree with to, you, but yeah. don't you think that one of the reasons why they're back there for game one is because of the physicality? I think that's the, the reason, yeah. Yep, yep. I think it's to, I think it's to, to be physical against Alabama and to, to set the tone pretty early on. Plus, as a, right. ma- a major credit to Alabama, Alabama is going to watch your video. They're going to know what you're good at, what you're bad at. And if you've been bad at special teams, they're going to pick on your special teams. Mm-hmm. They did that a couple years ago in the national championship, correct? And they did a short kick along the, the sideline on Clemson. Yeah. Yep. That was completely gleamed off video. For FSU, you've been watching video of what they do on kick and punt returns where it's not all that impressive. Well, FSU's kind of gone and flipped the script in some regards with how they're going to go about that with regards to the human beings that are returning the kicks. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting. I think it's a little bit of a chess match, but, hey, I'm game for it. I I, I reeled about the uh, lack of production from special teams in recent years and how annoying it is for as talented of a football team as FSU is. So hopefully that's uh, – Inconceivable. <laughs> hopefully that's an area where FSU wins on Saturday night. All right, speaking of wins on Saturday night, uh, Newberg, before we let you go, prediction, uh, care, to, care to share? No, we're putting out our prediction story tomorrow. Uh, all right. All right, fine. No prediction. You just don't have one ready yet, I think, is the because everyone's turned in their prediction story aside from, uh, aside from you, so I'm guessing you don't have a prediction. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm writing it right now. <laughs> I, no, I really am. I have, I have two of my three keys right now, and I'm getting to my prediction. All right, all right, get out of here. We'll let you run. Thanks for joining us. See you. All right, tag team uh, tapping out is Josh Newber coming in as Bob Ferrante. Bob, welcome. Say hi. I'm coming over the ropes. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Bob was about to bring out a chair the other day, go underneath the the mat and bring out a chair uh, when uh, when availability was. Canceled. It was abruptly canceled, but eh, you guys don't want to hear about that. Nope. Nope. Moving on. FSU Alabama, that's what we're here to talk about. Woo! All right, so. Let's start off. I think we just want to keep this relatively short since we already had the part with, with Josh kind of starting to get us going with the game. Um, let's talk about Florida State's offense, how it matches up with Alabama's defense. Uh, and, and Can I go we, first, please? Yeah, please. Stop, stop me from rambling. Florida State needs to run with their quarterback. DeAndre Francois yes. needs to be a dual-threat RPO-style quarterback if FSU is going to beat Alabama. I'm amazed how many people are against. I, I don't care if he does it all year. I'm completely indifferent in that regard. To beat Alabama, he has to do it. Yep. You don't beat Alabama if your quarterback doesn't play at an extremely high level and you take care of the football and you keep them off balance. You have to run the ball even if you're not running it effectively against them. Mm-hmm. You have to play in front of the chains. You cannot have boneheaded, dumbass mistakes like pre-snap penalties. You can't give up big sacks where you're playing third and 17. You're not going to win. Yep. Plain and simple. But the key on offense for FSU more than anything, and there's a whole heck of a lot of keys, is DeAndre Francois has to be let loose. He, you have to let him run just, wild and let him be that dude. I'm not saying run it with him 30 times in the game. I'm saying design it to run it with him here and there, five, keep him off balance, times, yeah. create some looseness with your offense, some, you know, this is available, you can do this, open up the passing game, work to all parts of the field. You have a versatile 
diversified offense. Mm -hmm. Use it in every which way. When you're looking at offense, I know it doesn't work this way where it's offense versus offense, but you look at the one advantage that you have of your Florida State. Alabama, you have Bo Scarborough and all those running backs. Their offensive line is pretty darn good. They have some you know, all-American type of guys there. Calvin Ridley at the wide receiver. The one definitive edge that you have going into this game is DeAndre Francois over Jalen Hurts as a complete quarterback. Unleash him and let him do his thing. The offensive game plan has to center around him. I agree, Chris. We want to see... Uh, we want to see DeAndre run, and, and if you're Florida State, I think that's kind of a key because it's some Alabama that it's not going to expect or it's going to put a lot of pressure on them at the very least. I think it also helps your offensive line. Yeah. It, you you it, got some inexperience yeah. up there, especially on the left side. You got two guys starting on the left for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one has started at the right side at guard, but this will be his first real run at left. Um, and, you know, you got Everly who's coming back from an injury and you want to see how he does. If you let your quarterback be a little more loose, do a few things, try to keep Bam off balance, it buys them a little bit more hope and a little bit more, you it know. It creates better angles and yeah. gives you an extra I mean gives you an extra blocker. If you try to play straight up, block up front, moving the chain football against Alabama with offense, you're not gonna win. Not gonna it's, it's incredibly difficult. And I know Bama's breaking in some new bodies on defense. They lost a lot of guys. They're still incredibly talented on that side of the ball. Like even if you don't do it a lot, do it enough to make Alabama respect it and know that it could be coming. Make them uncomfortable. This is the kind of the blueprint of how teams have been successful against Alabama. Not many have, but this is how Clemson, with Deshaun Watson, has found success both in the uh, the playoff game a year ago and then the playoff game where they won in January. So I get why Jimbo's reluctant to do it. He usually has a playbook that is wide open, but he, he has – hang-up about RPOs, I don't purely think it's because of, well, my backup isn't unknown, because he really didn't do it with Sean McGuire as the backup for years, so I don't think it's purely, I'm worried about Francois being hit, but I I agree with you. You have to throw something not totally different, but something that Alabama hasn't seen a lot of, and that's something that can help your offensive line, help DeAndre, open up the offense. Yeah, and we've seen Francois have success when he's run designed runs or opted to run on plays where it was a quick decision go. And I think with Bama, you got to keep them completely off balance. You you don't need to completely alter what you do offensively, but you need to use everything at your disposal. And DeAndre Francois' legs are a huge piece of that puzzle to me. And I think it frees them up to be a better passer, too. It, uh, it allows them to, you know, look a little bit more on the short stuff, not have to sit in a pocket and let things go vertical and be obsessed with that. I have the numbers. I'm trying to pull them up here, but... Uh, Bill Conley over at SB Nation does a really good job keeping stats mm-hmm. and, and, and advanced metrics. He was DeAndre Francois was more efficient with the yard per carry average than Jalen Hurts was on design runs or on, on scrambles. When you take out all the sacks and, and part of that is being athletic and getting out of the way, but Alabama's offense, your quarterback's moving around right away, not dropping back. It's different. Uh, DeAndre Francois can really run the ball efficiently. Now you want him to get down, don't want him to take hits. He didn't do a great job of that last year, even past the line of scrimmage, but yeah, and then to maybe you can transition to running backs. Like that takes pressure off the running backs too, as you're trying to figure out. It's not just the offensive line; it's the running backs too. If you're trying to figure out who the you know Jack West Patrick one, Cam Akers two, we're trying to see how that works. That's a new role for both of those guys coming in for Dalvin Cook. So you have a quarterback that's running that's taking pressure off of them as well. Like Chris said, you're not going to be able to beat Bama straight up. You have to create angles and create mismatches and, and make that defense really uncomfortable. I think that's that's kind of the key. Yeah, and, and talking to Charlie Potter and other people associated with Alabama coverage, it's pretty clear that the the weakness of the Alabama defense is to the left side. Mm-hmm. Right now. And that's at multiple levels. And calling Alabama's defense weak at anything, it's kind of stretching the word weak. But 
comparatively yeah. to Minka Fitzpatrick or Ronnie Harrison. Yeah. You know, going after Trevon Diggs is a little more advantageous in the passing game for your offense, more than likely, at least on paper. And I did a Q&A with one of their readers the other day, and they were saying that Anthony Everett, Everett uh, quarter, cornerback is better than Marlon Humphrey, who was a top-20 draft pick last yeah. year. And I, I know he's good, but I, I wasn't aware that he was getting you know, top-10, top-15 buzz. So I think with FSU, when they want to take those shots, they want to go for those big plays, they need to create that matchup that mm-hmm. benefits them. I don't think going after Minka vertically is advantageous. It's not beneficial to you. Minka's a stud. Minka's, you know, the second-best DB in the country. Mm-hmm. He's the only other guy in that category with Derwin James, in my view. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I think this game is very much a chess match. I know that's cliche as they come, but I truly believe it. It is very much about what move is the right move at this very moment for this team, for the position they're in, where they're at on the field, where the chains are. The momentum of the game, I think that FSU offensively has to be aggressive but intelligent. I, I don't think they need to be taking shots all day. They need to pound the ball. If they're only getting two yards on first down, stick with it. Mm-hmm. Don't go away from running it. you got to be balanced, but you got to also kind of create a version of yourself that keeps the opponent sort of off balance, as best as you can keep an Alabama defense off balance. And when you do take those shots, you've got to make them count. Yeah, too. yeah, capitalize on the opportunities that present themselves. Like we saw against Michigan. Like yeah. that, I mean, that, that pass to Nyquan Murray blew the game open and, and gave Florida State the comfort. And that Michigan defense, metrically, was comparable to Alabama's last year. It's the closest thing to it. Yeah. You know, Chris, you were talking about the right move. I think the right move is also to play two tailbacks. It's it's very little fullback unless you're in the right situation. Yeah. And, of course, we all know what the situation is. It's it's third and short, fourth and short, goal line, whatnot. But this is a game where you can have two very different tailbacks mm-hmm. who can do different things. And could we see a lot more of Rasul and Akers paired with Patrick? You, know, you can have that heavier, bigger back who we've mm-hmm. – heard for a long time is going to lower that shoulder and produce some yards but again he has been efficient when he's filled in for Dalvin Cook more than five yards per carry so I think we can see a combination of Patrick, Akers, Rasul and that makes your offense more dynamic. Yeah and there's times where I wouldn't be against FSU kind of balking it up and going two tight ends and heavy on the O-line and passing out of that but buying yourself the ability where you've got to win a one-on-one matchup with where it's shown and you got to find it. Um, you know, I think a guy like Maven Saunders can create a mismatch here or there. You know, Izzo is what he is. He's going to be Mr. Consistent. He's going to do what you ask of him. With the running backs, you can throw some flares. You can get them in space. You can do a little bit. You can loosen things up with them, especially if Bama's being aggressive off the edge with the outside two guys in the four-band set at the linebacker spot. You know, you can kind of put yourself in a position where you can loosen things up by attacking them that way. So I think with offense, you just have to – it's – it's very much use everything at your disposal, have value skill players on the field, and put yourself in a position where you're ahead of the chains, playing third and short, and you know trying to play for a win. All right, and then let's focus on the offensive line now. Over under three sacks allowed on DeAndre Francois. I'll go over. DeAndre's <laughs> still going to hold it at times. The O line's still going to have some gelling issues. Bama's still studly up front. Deron Payne's going to cause some havoc in that middle. A guy like Sean Dion Hamilton or Sean Evans at linebacker, I think, is going to get loose and do a couple things. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that's like a negative against FSC's O line. I just think it's a matter of Bama's really good defensively. They're going to get theirs. The key is you can't take sacks that are, you know, 10, 12 yard losses. In crucial moments. They need too, to be yeah. trying to step up in the pocket, make a throw, have to go down with it instead of, you know, throwing an interception. You take the three, four yard sack and you come back and you 
fight for the next down. Bob, over, under, three, three sacks. I, I agree. I also say over. I think it's a combination of Alabama being really good up front and you know, some still question marks about how this chemistry is going to come together along the offensive line. They think they have the right pieces, but these aren't the right pieces that have played together in a game in these specific five spots. So we still have question marks about Derek Kelly, who hasn't really been a left tackle since high school, senior year, first game that he's going to be doing that. Everly back first time as a center since the, the major injury to his hip, both hips. I think we have a lot of questions. I think we all know Francois can get rid of the ball quicker if those receivers get a little bit more separation or if he can go up top and use the height and yeah. advantage that the receivers or have. He, or he takes his check down. Yeah. He needs but to be better, be better at that yeah. in this game. He needs to be willing to take what's there, take what they're giving you at times. Don't be greedy. Yeah. I, I think you know, you, you can want to be greedy. Maybe it's a big game. You want to make that big play. But sometimes just getting the first down is, is the right move. Yeah. Move, move to change a little bit. Play the game of field position. If the game's a reasonable distance, whether you're up three, up seven, down three, down seven, you can kind of play, keep the clock moving, keep the chains moving. You know, you know you're good on each side of the ball. Don't feel like you have to do – the offense doesn't have to win everything. They need to win certain instances and the defense needs to live up to what it is and win its instances, and it's going to be a heavyweight fight. It's going to be two really good teams with very good coaches going against one another, and it's going to be punch-counterpunch and how you handle those moments. And uh, not that you guys asked, but I'll go under. I think, I think well, yeah, I think... The uh, optimist in the room. I mean, the last two times we saw FSU on the field against pretty good defensive fronts, uh, they gave up zero sacks against Florida and two sacks against Michigan. Oh. Yeah, it is. And I think this group is going to somehow, maybe not right away, so this could be setting myself up. I think by the end of the year, this offensive line is going to be better than it was. It is sort year. of weird. They do tend to almost rise to the occasion sometimes with opponents. I think some of it was DeAndre got rid of the ball quicker, and there yeah. was always weren't necessarily great throws. I mean, it's completion percentage against Michigan. It would seem like to be the game plan. Just don't take the sack. Don't take a negative you know, play. What was he, 9 of... I don't have the number. He was like 40-something percent. He was, he was lower than 50. I, I'm sticking with over because Nick is such a disguise of blitz throw curveball at your guy. That mm-hmm. I think there will be a breakdown here or there that creates a sack, and then there will be instances where Bama just does what Bama can do and creates a sack. All right, let's, uh, let's pivot over to, uh, to Florida State's defense versus Alabama's offense. Uh, not sure where we start. Uh, Bob, I'll let you take a matchup uh, on that side of the ball that you're, uh, you're intrigued by. I really like the defensive line. You know, Florida State's got a lot of experience up front. They can show multiple looks. They've got, you know, Matthew Thomas should be back, and that's a huge advantage for them. <laughs> yeah. Wood, as, we're, as we're recording this podcast, Bob, Bob we're recording on Thursday afternoon. We talked to Jimbo in, what, about an hour? And Bob, presumably. It, presumably. That's not a guarantee, and, and Bob probably just jinxed us uh, to have to re-record this whole damn thing. But, yeah, he's supposed to be back. Carry on, Bob. Jinx. <laughs> I, I think it's a it's a talented front where we can see just so many different looks, and so many different personnel schemes and matchups, alignments. Um, and we all, we all know Burns is going to be really nearly impossible to block, and he's going to put a hand up even if he doesn't get to the quarterback. I like his ability to knock down passes. I think that's been well coached to these guys. That if you don't get to the quarterback, put a hand up. You know they've even they've even worked on right hand up, left hand up based on if they see Alabama's backup quarterback. So it's, it's been very detailed in practice. And I think even though Alabama has four offensive linemen back, it's just it's truly a strength of the defense up front. We talk about how good that secondary is, mm-hmm. but that defensive front is really one of the top five in the country. 
I think the biggest thing Florida State has to do is force Jalen Hurts into being a passer. And I think the way you go about doing that as a defense is winning up front, kind of taking away RPO options, short pass game options, creating some pressure, but playing contain while creating pressure. You can't give wide open running lanes to the middle of the field to Jalen Hurts three, four seconds after a play starts. He's going to take those and burn you. Mm-hmm. Um, for the secondary, it's keep guys in front of you. You know, you can't let Calvin Ridley get behind you. He'll burn you. Mm-hmm. Their tight ends are kind of intriguing to me. Their offensive coordinator is more of a tight end-oriented guy. Yeah, they're saying they're going to use them. you know, O.J. Howard's now with the Bucks, so I don't want to say it's a step down talent-wise, but it's a more of an unknown talent-wise. It's a step wise. down talent-wise. Yeah. I mean, that's a first-round tight end that was really, really O.J. sort of freakish, he, yes. but he was almost underutilized at Alabama. I think Bama fans would... Share that. Well, I opinion. think that's maybe why um, Saban went back to more of that. A guy who's probably going to be more that way. Yeah. So it will be interesting what a guy like Miller or Smith Jr. what they're going to do at the tight end spots. But I think at the biggest key for FSU is make Jalen Hurts beat you vertically in the yeah. passing game. He's fully capable of bombing down the field. Guy's got a phenomenal arm. His issue last year was when he was uncomfortable with it. He was very inaccurate at times and. You know, it's just not what he wants to be or what he wasn't last year. It will be interesting how his development has come along. So I think whatever you have to do defensively to put the weight on Jalen Hurts' shoulder, you have to do. And you got to make first tackles. You can't let a guy like Bo Scarborough or a guy like Damian Harris or Najee, who's coming in as a freshman at running back, you can't let them break a tackle and turn a two-yard run where you had them contained for a two-yard run into a 7-8-10 yard run or something more. Bama will take advantage of any mistake you make, any missed assignment, any missed tackle. And that's how you don't win. You have to make Bama earn every yard and make them be meticulous and make them play to all parts of the field and make their quarterback be the guy that beats you. Yeah, the, the, that's what interests me the most, Chris, is, is that run game of Alabama's. Is, but the Mets are bread and butter. They return. You know, Jalen Hurts had almost 1,000 yards. Bo Scarborough had, what, 800? Damian and, did have 1,000 yards. 1,000. And then uh, it was a, the rookie, or he was a freshman last year. I'm blanking on Josh Jacobs. He's probably not going to play, I think. Yeah, but he had like he's 500 been questionable, but he's first. a versatile, different type guy. Yeah. He's kind of the curveball in a bunch. He's not the big power guy that they love using. He can do a few different things. And he's dealing with the hammy. Then you mentioned uh, Najee Harris. Was it Najee Harris, right? Yeah, Najee's a um, freshman. Him and Cam were the two best backs in the country last year. So they're going to run the football. Uh, That's what Alabama does, whether it's the read option stuff that they did a lot of last year, whether they go more traditional, single back stuff. They're going to try to run the football, and that's going to be Alabama's strength probably as a team. Versus Florida State's strength, I think we've talked about that when we did our preseason stuff. Bob was that defensive tackle group is talented, it's deep, it's experienced. We think the defensive ends are going to be pretty good. It's going to be you know it's going to be strength versus strength. And that's going to dictate the terms of the entire game. Who can ever kind of impose themselves on the other one? Uh, and and part of that's going to be Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Are you guys under the impression we've talked about in the past Florida State defending these type of read option RPO scrambling quarterbacks? How concerned, if you do think they're concerned at all about Jalen Hurts, where does he rank with some of the RPO guys we've seen in the past? Well, after last season, they should certainly be concerned. <laughs> I mean, they got kind of raked over the coals by those type of guys. Any, anyone who basically had had a decent chance to run yeah. did <laughs> Kind it. of did them in. Now, Derwin's back. I think that's a big piece of it. Presuming Matt plays knock on wood again, I think he's a big piece of attacking that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think Jalen's a guy that you're fully aware. You put on a video, you see what he's great at, and you see what they did last year. They were very much an RPO short passing attack with him running the ball a fair amount, running power run with their running backs, and then bombing you know, once in a while here and there for explosive plays. Calvin Ridley is kind of the you know guy who's still on the roster who led that chart. He takes the top off. So you got to – it's kind of not dink and dunk, but it's, you know, you're playing a lot of stuff, line of scrimmage and down, and then all of a sudden they're going to go over the top on you. 
I think this year is going to be a little different with them. I think they're going to work to the middle a little bit more as a team with the new OC and such. So uh, it's going to be interesting. If I'm FSU, it, Jimbo loves saying it, it's eye discipline. It's a huge piece of the puzzle. You have to have your DNs have an effective game. And when those lanes open up in the middle for Hurts to try to attack, you have to have linebackers or safeties or whoever you put in the middle to come downstairs. They have to be able to close, end the play, and not allow the play to extend and allow Hurts to get open field. Yeah, Hurts was exposed a little bit in, in the playoffs last year. I mean, but it, it, Clemson's it a phenomenal defense at the same well, time. I was going to say Florida State's defense is supposed to be upper echelon as yeah. well. Um, and, but it was against Washington, too. He was 7-14 of 14 for 54 yards, uh, or 57 yards. I got that in front of me here. I'm looking at it. Clemson, he was 13-31, 131 yards. I mean, he had passer rating in the 80s. Like, that's not... Yeah, you know, that's not championship caliber quarterback. Yeah. And I understand he was a true freshman at a big moment, but against good defenses, uh, he took a big step back. Again, that's kind of what you expect as a true freshman, and I think we're, we're giving him a lot of room to grow. You're expecting that from one year to the other. But to your point, Chris, like that's I think if you beat Alabama, you've got to force him to take shots vertically, make him a passer, don't let him get comfortable running, don't let him dink and dunk and do the bubble screen stuff. You need to put your best guys up front and force him to, to take shots downfield and see what happens. Um with that in mind, Derwin James kind of being the, the guy who can make that happen. What are we expecting for him him to do uh, against Alabama? I think they're expecting Derwin James to be Superman, which is the uh, what, what Jacob Pugh said after the mm-hmm. spring game, that Derwin can do a little bit of everything. I think, I think it's back to what we saw his freshman year. We'll see him line up off the edge. We'll see him at linebacker. We'll see him drop into coverage a little bit and kind of shadow those running backs coming out of the flats, out of the backfield. We'll see him deep. I think that is the ultimate pre-snap read, is trying to figure out if you're the quarterback and if you're a young quarterback, where exactly is Derwin James? Is somebody picking him up if he's blitzing? Because if he is not, you have got to find that hot read and get rid of it in a heartbeat. So Derwin, you know, you would love to have a lot more if you could clone a guy like Derwin, but having him out there makes this defense look completely different. I know it's been a, a summer of major criticism for Charles Kelly and what the defense didn't achieve in 2016, but it's always with that asterisk of they didn't have Derwin yeah. for, what, 11 games. A man who the system is built around in many ways, yeah. too. I think the interesting thing with Derwin, first I think he's going to play like a rabid caged animal that's been released after a year of you know biting on a cage, gnawing on a cage, and watching other people play and seeing good and bad moments. But I think... Early in the game, you're going to see him work on the edge some. You know, Bama moved their right tackle to left tackle, and they have a new right tackle, whether it's a freshman or a more experienced player. I think Matt Womack's a more experienced player. They're going to have, you know, two fresh bodies at tackle positions, one who hasn't played the spot he's now at, and the other one who is a new starter for them. I think you throw Derwin in there kind of as a, as a wrench, you know, with Josh and Brian. You can do something. You can create some pressure and make him uncomfortable early. And I think the key with Derwin is you want him to set the tone early on, make a play early on. Not necessarily a big play, but just enough where everybody's aware he's on the field then and there. And it kind of causes you to key on him, maybe freeing up some other people. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing that they lacked at times last year is they didn't have a guy that set the tone. They didn't have a guy that determined the way the defense was going to play early and often. I think Derwin – naturally is that guy he wants to be a physical hard-hitting player who makes plays he's going to go about doing that now if I'm Bam I'm attacking AJ Westbrook Mm -hmm. in the other safety spot especially if they're being aggressive with Derwin down in the box you know you can counter punch that without doubt but I think Derwin's going to be everything we expect him to be I think he's going to live up to the billing 
he never disappoints when he's on the football field. I mean, how often have we ever watched Derwin in a game here and not afterwards gone? Man, he was one of the two, three best players on that football field tonight. So With Derwin, too, like as Alabama kind of prepares for him, like there's not a whole lot. I mean, there's not much film at all from last year because he only played a game and a half, but he was almost exclusively playing as a deep safety because they wanted him back there to make sure, you know, Chad Kelly wasn't wasn't beating them vertically. So all the film that they're looking at is him as a freshman. This is Derwin James with two years of being able to get bigger and more physical and watching and absorbing football. So like you know, what we saw when he was you know, had ninety one tackles and four and a half sacks as a, as a rookie, like this guy conceive like like at least theoretically like is going to be a bigger and better, more physical player. And I just don't know if you're Alabama or anyone preparing for that right away. How you do? How you do prepare for for what you're going to see? Well, I think something that benefits both FSU and Alabama is that they have Derwin and Minka respectively to mm-hmm. prepare against. So you do have a player that like extremely high caliber who's very versatile. That's so true. I, I think practice gives you some looks at that, but still, it, you know, you can watch all the film in the world until you physically see a guy do it in the process of a game. It's just not real. Yeah, and they're versatile yeah. in different ways. I mean, yeah. he's a cornerback and a safety. Derwin's a safety and a linebacker. Or a DA. Yeah. But, but that's 1A and 1B when you're talking right. about multiple defensive, you know, But guys. the sense of keying on that guy, he's moving around, what Correct. he's what doing, do? everything else kind of plays yeah. off of that piece. He's the one that spurs the other 10 into motion. And I think that's where, like, we, we talked about this in the last podcast, not having Trey Marshall for the first half, like – that's what's tough because you would have felt pretty confident if you're Florida State based on how Trey Marshall ended last year and how A.J. Westbrook ended last year, those two playing back and letting Derwin go crazy up front. Now all of a sudden you don't have Trey Marshall for the first half because of the weird <laughs> carryover rule. Uh, it's A.J. Westbrook, and I'm not sure who else is uh, Armand Lane, but but it's a step back, I think, physic, you know, physicality with range. Uh, so that's to, to, yeah, that's certainly something to kind of monitor uh, on Saturdays, like whether they – unleash Derwin right away and let him go in the box and do work or whether they wait a little bit. I guess Nate Andrews too. I'm not sure if he's going to be good yeah. to go or not, but um, Hampson Nazaruddin, I mean, there's there's options, but I just, I think. That's a true freshman on a huge stage. Yeah, and that, we all think very highly of him. You know, he's popular on this pod for sure, but that that's asking a lot of a kid. They're going to play some true freshmen now. Oh, I know, I know. And it, it's got to be interesting, but every time you play a true freshman, they're going to have a moment here and there, no matter how good they are. Just it's naturally going to happen. You That's know, true. No, you're, if you're a running back, you're going to miss a block because you go to the left when you're supposed to go to the right. If you're a safety, you know you're you're going to read something a key and you're going to barrel down when you should drop back. It just no, that's especially that's a position where you don't want to put the rookie yeah. is in the back end of the defense. So it's why you love opening with the preseason types of Louise and Monroe so you can get that film and show to guys and you know give them examples in real life experience. You know with Bama, it can be unforgiving. All right, so we I promised Bob we were going to talk about special teams, but we, we set 30-minute timer for the segment. We have five minutes left. Is that enough time for you? No, Bob? no, no. Who gives a shit? Move on to predictions. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's special teams. They're both going to be terrible. The FSU, question marks all across the board. Uh, Alabama doesn't have any confidence in their kickers. It's going to be sporadic, I think, right? Although Ricky, uh, Ricky Aguayo, game one, I mean, last year against Ole I feel Ole Miss. fine with Ricky, yeah. like 38 and under. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, he's I, and I don't expect Jimbo to fi- change how he plays math. You know, he's not going to become that a different philosophy guy. That would make sense if he guy. did, but yeah. yeah. Um, Jimbo, in all fairness, I, I was joking, being a little tongue-in-cheek, uh, Jimbo's been really pleased with Aguayo the last couple weeks uh, of camp and heading into this week. And then, oh, sorry, Bob, you talked about special teams. But quickly, we have four minutes now. Yeah, I think we talked about Monday. It's it's good to see that Jimbo is committing to the big man kick return with Gavin and James. And I think... This is a crucial game where you have to set up the offense. You have to give them some field position. 
this can't be a let DeAndre try to drive them 85 yards and expect Ricky to make field goals. That's going to be a recipe for disaster. So this is kind of the big question mark. I know you guys were talking about with Josh, too. What, what has this team been doing on the return phase for the past few years? There's a whole lot of, I really don't know, but it ain't working. Find something else. Because, but <laughs> Don't think, do what you've been doing. That's not right. Be, this could be the something else, though. Yeah. We are seeing guys who, you know, Gavin had one return last year, but he hasn't been a returner on the college level in this program. He's done it in high school at Wakulla. Coach Cleese down there said he was really successful as a returner, and obviously against high school competition, he, he's that's going to happen. He's a barrel of cement running straight toward you when he gets ahead. And we of saw that in that poor Michigan. He he can tackle. haul ass. It takes him a minute to get going, but when he gets going, he he's that's not real fun to tackle. I mean, that's a way to establish your physicality and set a tone. That's what what if you're never mind. I'm going down hypotheticals. We don't have time. Three minutes and thirty seconds. I'm feeling the the pressure. It's all about focus, buddy. <sighs> all right. Do you guys want to do predictions real quick? Josh said not to. I'm not going to give my score, but uh, yeah, sure. I, I think Alabama wins a really close game, mm-hmm. but I truly believe it is a less than a one-possession game, mm-hmm. and I think it can go either way. And I know that sounds like a cop-out, but I am picking Alabama. If FSU wins, I'll certainly eat crow, and I'll be happy about it. But I think it's going to be a hell of a game. I, I think it's two really good football teams really physical football teams, very good coaches, and I think it's going to be a really fun thing to watch. I just think if I had to pick one reason why, I think Bama's defense against FSU's O-line is why I give them the slight edge. And that's more of an unknown for me with the FSU O-line than anything. I agree with all that. I think we see a better Francois, a more polished Francois in year two as a starter. I think that's something that you're going to enjoy seeing as a Florida State fan. I do think the offensive line, though, is going to have some real issues in pass protection, and that's going to kind of affect things. It will be fun to watch the receivers and see that chemistry that Francois has had with, with Nyquan Murray for more than a decade, what he can show. I think Alabama wins. I think it'll be very close. It'll come down in the fourth quarter. It's going to be a tight, entertaining game. And we have a $1.5 billion stadium to see it all, and it's going to really be a fun night. When was the last time Florida State lost a game that wasn't even either like a last-second heartbreaker or just some embarrassing. I was gonna say Louisville was over. It's either one of the, it's either they're losing in the final drive of the game. Even Clemson last year, like they were one drive away yeah. from going ahead. Clemson the year before too. When was the last time it was one of the? Not, Louisville, I mean, Oregon? I, I think back to the Oklahoma game at Oklahoma. I wasn't here then. That Jimbo's tenure. You know that game was like ten minutes in. You're like, do you want to hang around or do you want to go? <laughs> like it was pretty determined. And there's been a few since, and you know the, the Clint Trickett stretch. There, there were a couple games. But, they just don't lose games yeah, by since, like ten to since fourteen 13 points. Thirteen doesn't happen very it's often. They lose by three to seven, and, or well, Bama can blow teams out. They don't do it on the regular. The Bama Bama plays kind of. What do they do against USC in the opener last uh, year? They annihilate. That's kind of yes, But I mean, in general, they're more they suffocate you instead of just you know running you out of the gym. Yeah, and the. I guess we'll see. I, I think that Florida State's going to be well-prepared. Uh, they've been focused on this game. This is Jimbo Fisher's Super Bowl. He's going to downplay it. But like for him to go and beat Nick Saban like, would be a huge feather in his cap. I'm with you guys. I just I want to lean towards Alabama a little bit more. I think they're going to win by a score. I think it'll be a pretty close game throughout, though. Um, so one other thing, Saban's never lost an opener. Jimbo's never lost an opener at their respective schools. So something's got to give. All right? And Saban's never lost to a protege. Yeah, he's never faced really you know, Jimbo right. Fisher I mean, protege. Jimbo Fisher's yeah. a tad bit better than Jim McElwain. I fit one in. Fit <laughs> one in. 
And Florida State will have most of its team, I believe, heading to uh, to the opener. I'm not sure if Florida can say the same. All right, there's 30 seconds left. I'm feeling the pressure. 8.14 p.m. will be the kickoff on Saturday, guys. Hopefully you enjoy it. Thank you for listening to the podcast, whether it's at work, whether you're driving to – Drive uh, safe. Yep, drive safely. And uh, we'll talk to you, I guess, on Monday here, right, and recap the game. All right, bye, folks.